reading Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought, uh, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having sieges, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region across the Jordan followed him. Well, pretty much the worst thing you can be in our society today is preachy, right? Which is ironic because I'm about to preach a sermon, but of all the things which our culture deems as unacceptable, the idea that you can tell someone that they are wrong and that you're right is just about top of the list, isn't it? Because we live in a world where truth is a relative thing, and tolerance is seen as everything. So telling someone you're right and they're wrong and trying to convince them that they need to change goes against both of those ideas we hold sacred. So it seems bigoted, narrow-minded, prideful, intolerant, which makes being a Christian in today's world kind of difficult when you stop and think about it. See, as Christians, we long for people to know about Jesus. And we're told to go and share Jesus with people. But we're also afraid of, of not wanting to fit that classic stereotype in our culture of the preachy Christian, always trying to cram Christianity down my throat, always telling me I'm wrong and I need to change my life. And you actually see this really clearly in the type of Christian books which have become popular recently that speak about evangelism and how to share your faith. Books like Randy Newman's Questioning Evangelism, which is all about engaging people's hearts by not preaching at them and forcing truth upon them, but by asking good questions like Jesus did. Or Sam Chan's book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, you know, that awkward, offensive, preachy Christian. Now, I actually think that both of these books are incredibly helpful. They're so helpful when it comes to thinking about how we share our faith as Christians, and I recommend them both. I've read them both. Both of these guys are great evangelists. But it does highlight the current tension or fear we have as Christians, doesn't it? 
where we're worried about coming across as a little bit preachy. In fact, in some cases, people are so worried about coming across as preachy that they'll remove the idea of needing to preach about Jesus at all. It's that kind of a preach Jesus and use words if necessary idea. You know that idea? As Christians, what we really need to do is just be good people and live good lives, love those around us in our actions and deeds. And then people will be drawn to us and they'll ask us about Jesus and they'll become Christians. Now, admittedly, even that is getting harder to do, right? As we as Christians start to disagree with the world more and more about what actually constitutes doing good. But to be honest, that's the kind of Christianity that I can see myself being drawn to. Because it's a lot less confrontational to do that, right? And I don't want to be that classic preachy Christian. I don't want to come across as awkward and judgmental and trying to force my beliefs upon people. In fact, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're listening along today and this is one of the things that irks you about Christianity. The difficult thing about this, though, is, well, the one big problem with all of that, right, is that Christians are fundamentally meant to be preaching people. As Christians, we are proclaimers, we're preachers. And that's one of the things we see in this part of Matthew. I mean, for starters, Jesus himself was a preacher. The guy we follow, the foundation of our faith, for him, preaching is a key priority. And you see that really clearly in our passage today, right? You see today's passage, it's actually a key moment in Matthew's gospel. Because in this part of Jesus' ministry, this part of Matthew's gospel, sorry, Jesus begins his ministry. And all that we've looked at over the past few weeks was really preparing the way for this moment here, where Jesus would begin his ministry and now take center stage. In fact, you can see this shift happens in Matthew's gospel as you look at the first few verses of our passage there. Just have a look again in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, do you see this kind of shift that is happening as we pick up this passage of Matthew here? Now that John's been put in prison, all of this kind of preparation ministry that we've looked at over the past few weeks is coming to a close. And it's time for Jesus to begin his work. Now, that's why he goes up to Galilee. It's not that he's running away there. He's not shrinking back. He's actually stepping up into the limelight. He's actually beginning his ministry publicly. And he he goes up there. He begins this ministry in fulfillment of what was promised in Isaiah chapter 9. It's where that little quote comes from there in our passage. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. And just for a bit of context here, Isaiah is a prophet. He, He was a prophet. He was someone through whom God spoke to his people who lived about 700 years before the time of Jesus. 
And in this section of Isaiah that this quote comes from, Isaiah is telling the people of Israel about how God's judgment was going to come upon them because of their rebellion against him and because of their sin. So Isaiah, he tells Israel that God's going to bring his judgment upon them by sending the Assyrians to invade their land. And at this time, Israel's land was divided into 12 different tribes, kind of like states that we have here in Australia. And you can see how this Assyrian invasion was going to work on the map there, right? The Assyrian Empire was actually over there to the side of ancient Israel, but in order to invade them, what they had to do was come up around the top and come down from the north. That is, they would come and bring God's judgment from the north, firstly to those regions up in the north, those places like Zebulun and Naphtali. That is, when God brought his judgment against Israel for their sin, the place he says it's going to start was in those northern places, in the lands of Zebulun and the lands of Naphtali. Those places would be thrust into this kind of darkness and gloom. They'd be thrust under the judgment of God first. And as we read the Bible, we see these things eventually happen. The Assyrians do invade. They overthrow a lot of the northern region, but they get turned back by the southern tribes. And so they end up setting up life in the northern area and these places become a mixture of Jew and Gentile. Hence, by the time of Jesus, they're called Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, why is all of that background important? Well, because look again at the words that Isaiah speaks, the words which Matthew quotes. He says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You see, these are actually words of hope, right? Words of salvation that Isaiah prophesies, that speak of a time when instead of darkness and judgment upon God's people, the light of salvation will dawn and break in. They speak of a time of mercy, a time of forgiveness, a time of restoration for the people of God who were under his judgment because of their sin. And where does this light, this salvation begin? Well, Isaiah says it's the very same place where judgment started, in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali. So when the time comes for Jesus to begin his ministry, when the time comes for him to step up into center stage, where does he go to kick it all off? Verse 13, he leaves Nazareth for Galilee, for the land of Zebulun, for the land of Naphtali. You see what Matthew is saying to us here? He's saying now is the time for fulfillment of Isaiah 9. Now is the time for light to shine in the dark. Now is the time for judgment to be replaced by salvation. Now is that time for Jesus to begin his ministry. And so Jesus goes up to Galilee and the time has come for him to take center stage. And what does he do there in verse 17? Well, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. 
You see, as Jesus starts his ministry and he brings this great light of salvation and forgiveness to God's people, he kicks it all off by choosing to preach. Jesus sees himself and his ministry as fundamentally about preaching. Now, why is that? Why was preaching of all things so important to Jesus? I mean, Jesus could have done incredible miracles, right? That's a way to launch a ministry and to have great success with great displays of power and might by healing the sick and driving out demons. And by the end of this passage, that's what we see Jesus doing. Down in verses 23 and 24 that we read before, he he goes out through the region of Galilee preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all the people of their various illnesses and driving out demons. So why doesn't Jesus lead with that stuff? That would be a wonderful sign of the light dawning in, right? Instead, he chooses to focus on preaching. And we get a clue on why Jesus focuses on that from the message that Jesus proclaims here. Just look there again, back up in verse 17, at the message which Jesus preaches. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, Jesus focuses on preaching in his ministry because he knows that God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is close by. It's near, Jesus says, it's on the doorstep. God's kingdom is all but arrived now. Now, what he's talking about here is actually this idea of the rule of God. That's what a kingdom is, right? It's the realm, the dominion over which a king rules and and has authority. And in the Bible, God does rule over all of creation. He has authority over all things. He's in control of all things. So there is a sense in which God is king over the universe. But this idea of the kingdom of heaven is a little bit more nuanced than that. The kingdom of heaven is all that which God rules over unopposed. So yes, God rules here on earth, doesn't he? He's in control. He has authority. But there's still opposition to him, isn't there, right? He he still has enemies, people who are against his rule. People still live in rebellion against him. We saw last week that the devil, that Satan has some sort of power here on earth, at least the power to tempt people to rebel against God and sin. But in heaven, God's rule is unopposed. There is no sin. Satan has no power. There is no rebellion active against God. Which also means that there's no suffering. There's no mourning. There's no decay. There's no death. There's none of the consequences that we see in this world that goes along with rebellion and opposition towards God. That's why heaven in the Bible is pictured as this this place of perfection. It's because God is good and his rule is good. And so when he rules without opposition, it's just good. And in heaven, that's what God does. God rules perfectly with no opposition. That's why, have you ever noticed in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, He tells them to pray for God's kingdom to come, that God's will would be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven is where God rules without opposition. It's where his will is done. And all of the good blessings that go along with that. And here in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus begins his ministry, he says that kingdom is near. That unopposed rule of God is close. It's its hand. It's on the doorstep. It's all but arrived. Which is precisely what those miracles of Jesus actually show us, don't they? They're like these little tasters, these little samples, these these little signs of what's to come. That God's coming to put an end to sin and Satan. He's coming to establish his unopposed rule and all of the blessings that go along with that. He's coming to bring about a world without sin, without Satan, without death, without decay, without suffering and evil, without mourning or pain. And these these miracles of Jesus are a little sign of that. It's so close now, the kingdom of heaven, so close that you can almost taste it. Now, this is the most wonderful news, right? If you belong to that kingdom, if you're one of God's people, if you're a citizen of heaven. But it's actually terrifying news if you're at war with the king, if you're his enemy, if you live a life in rebellion and opposition towards God. Now, that's why when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is coming, the response that he tells us to make is repent. Uh, This is why the central thing that defines the ministry of Jesus is not his miracles, but his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn around. Do a U-turn. Change the whole direction of your life. Stop living in opposition to God. Stop rebelling against him. Step into the light and accept his forgiveness. Take hold of the salvation he offers whilst you can. Because when the kingdom of heaven comes, when God comes to rule unopposed, which is close, it's near, that kingdom is at hand, the only thing that really matters is that you're good with the king. Now at this point, relative truth, wanting to seem tolerant, (laughs) kind of goes out the window, doesn't it, right? It strikes me that Jesus isn't particularly nuanced in the way he goes about it here. Does he? he doesn't seem too worried about being that guy or needing to ask the right questions here, does he? He seems more worried about the reality of where people are going to spend eternity. He seems more worried about them becoming a part of God's kingdom. See, this is the thing which Jesus says matters most in this life. That's why this is his number one priority in ministry. Because what people need is to turn back to God. Because the kingdom is coming. That's why Jesus preaches and and tells people to repent. It's why he brings the salvation, the light, the forgiveness for sins. Because now is this time for you to get right with God. Now is the time for you to turn back to him. And look, if you're tuning in here and you're watching this and you're not a Christian, 
Well, let me say, this is what Jesus wants for you, right? This is what he is saying and calling you to do. He wants you to know that the kingdom is coming. And he wants you to repent and to turn back to him. And look, at this stage, you might have more questions about that. You might still be unclear as to why that is. And we'd love to help you work through what all of this means. If you want, if you want to explore this further, you can let us know by texting the number on your screen and we'll get in contact with you and we can chat about that. But if you are a Christian, what's worth noting in this passage is the way in which Jesus' priority to preach becomes the priority of his followers too. Did you notice that in verse 18 there? Just have a look at what happens in the, what Jesus what happens here with Jesus. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You see, as Jesus begins his ministry of preaching, He does this thing which is incredibly important for us to understand. He calls people to be his disciples, to reorientate all of their priorities and what they're living for, and to come and join in his great ministry, to come and join him in fishing for people. Now, how does one fish for people, you ask? Well, it's by preaching the same gospel that Jesus did. It's by preaching that gospel that the kingdom is coming and by calling people to repent and trust in him. If if you're here today and you are a Christian, this passage really helps crystallize the great purpose of your life here and now, the great reason you are here on this earth. It's to see the gospel of the kingdom of heaven proclaimed here where you are, and all across the world. So that's not just a job for pastors or missionaries or for particularly gifted evangelists to do. That's a job for everyone who follows after Jesus, for everyone who wants to be his disciple. And of course, we want to to do that well, don't we? We want to preach this message as clearly and as helpfully as we possibly can which is where those books that I mentioned before are actually incredibly helpful for us because they help us to think wisely and smartly and cleverly about how we do the best job of explaining these ideas of the kingdom of heaven and explaining what it means to repent to people. And yet I think sometimes I'm so worried about not wanting to come across as preachy that I forget that's at the core of what Jesus calls us to join him in doing. I spend so much time thinking about how I build relationships and ask good questions and listen to people and understand them, all of which I think are good things, which we should seek to do. But at the end of the day, no one becomes a Christian. No one becomes a part of God's kingdom 
without someone preaching the gospel to them. And maybe I just need a little bit more of what Jesus is on about. Maybe I just need a little bit more boldness, a, a little bit. Maybe I need to be a little bit less concerned by people thinking that I'm preachy and just come out and ask them if I can preach to them the good news of Jesus. And at that point, you've got to make sure you know who the gospel and you're able to explain it to people, right, in a way that is helpful, in a way that is clear. But as Christians, that's something we have to take responsibility for in our own lives. If you don't know the gospel and how to explain it, then learn it. Learn something like the two ways to live track, which is a great summary of how we might explain the gospel to someone. And read those books on evangelism so you can get better equipped to talk about Jesus. Of course, pray for your three friends and look for opportunities to invite them to things like the life series that's running because life, that's what happens. They hear the gospel laid out clearly and are called to repent and follow after Jesus. And look, if you're doing all of those things, can I say to you, good on you. Keep at it. Don't be discouraged. You're doing a wonderful thing. But if you're not, let's work on that, right? Let's work on being people who proclaim the gospel and call people to repent because the kingdom is near. Because this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus has called his followers to do, to preach and call people to repentance because the kingdom of heaven is near. And even as we want to do that for the people around us, for the 300,000 here in Newey and Lake Mac. It's worth recognising too that there is 7 billion people across the world. And don't we want the same thing for all of them too? That's why as a church we're, we're committed to raising up and supporting missionaries, right? That's why it's been so great to have the tailors with us over the last week. That's why we're committed to things like sponsoring children through local churches across the world with compassion. See, it's through our partnership with these local churches in places like Bangladesh and Philippines, as we sponsor children through the work of compassion, people actually get the opportunity to hear about Jesus. That's one of the things that, that has just blown me away about the work of compassion. In fact, about a week ago, I had breakfast here in Newey with the National Directors of Compassion for the Philippines and the Bangladesh regions. And one of the things that struck me as we were talking about how it was going there was how in the midst of, of providing for children in poverty, there were so many opportunities for people to hear about Jesus. These guys would tell us stories about little children who would learn about Jesus because when the workers came and gave those children supplies, they also gave them lessons from the Bible, which helped them understand who Jesus was. They told us stories about parents whose families, whole families would become Christians as they taught these lessons to their kids, these parents would teach these lessons to their kids and then they would speak with the compassion workers about what those things that they're teaching actually mean. They told us stories about pastors being better equipped to teach and explain the Bible and explain the gospel more clearly as they seek to love those in poverty all around them. 
See, that's the thing about sponsoring a child through the work of compassion. There's so much more going on than just meeting the physical needs of a child, which is wonderful. And that's a reason in itself to do it. But even as you do that, you're investing in a gospel movement, in the crucial work of seeing the gospel proclaimed, of seeing people called to repent because the kingdom is near. And in my head, that's a worthwhile investment, right? That's a no-brainer because this is what people across the world need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. So let's be okay with being a little preachy, I reckon. Let's be okay with people finding us a little bit awkward. Let's be okay with people thinking that these guys want me to, to really believe what they believe, that they think I'm going the wrong way and they want me to change. Because Jesus was okay with that. And it's what he calls us as his disciples to join him in doing. Preach the gospel. Call people to repentance. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Why don't we pray? Our heavenly father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to fulfill what you promised in passages like Isaiah 9, to bring light in the darkness, to bring salvation to those under judgment, to bring forgiveness and mercy for our sins. And Father, we thank you that one day the kingdom is coming. The day when you will rule unopposed in all of your goodness is near. Father, we long for that day, but we know whilst we wait, you've left us here with a very clear purpose, to join, in, join with you in preaching the gospel and calling people to repent and trust in Christ and calling them to take hold of the salvation that Jesus offers and to become a part of your kingdom before it's too late. Father, please help us to share Jesus' heart for this. Please help us to see the world and the realities of what the time we live in is like, like he does. Please help us to be a people who preach, even if it means that people will think we're a bit preachy. And Father, Please help us to do it well and thoughtfully, to be as clear and helpful as we possibly can. And we thank you that as we do that, you will save people. You will call people to come and trust in Jesus. And we ask all of this and thank you for all of this in his precious name. Amen.